Well, I'm excited. We are continuing a series that we began last week in the 8.30 service on thankfulness. We are in the uh, Thanksgiving holiday season, and it's a time of the year where we we focus on the things uh, that we are thankful for, the the ways that God has blessed us. And I hope that is truly something that we do uh, this upcoming Thanksgiving season. I think this is a wonderful time for where we can come together and truly just pause from the busyness and the chaos of life and reflect on how God has blessed us, not just on what he has poured into our life, but just in who he is and the fact that we have access to our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. Last week in the 830 service, we looked at the uh, uh, time in Jesus's life where he was on his way to Jerusalem. And as he was going to Jerusalem, he came in contact with 10 lepers and he healed them in a miraculous way. But only one of those 10 came back to actually give thanks to Jesus for the healing that he received. And we saw uh, through that message and through that, that time in Jesus's life that Uh, expressing your gratitude uh, is an important part of receiving the blessings of God. God doesn't require you to be thankful. He blesses people almost indiscriminately, the godly and the ungodly, those who are grateful and those who are ungrateful. But there is something that happens within us when we express gratitude to God uh, that transforms our heart, transforms our focus, and we receive even greater blessings when we pour out thanks uh, on behalf of the blessings God has poured into our life. If we are not giving God thanks for the things that he has done uh, to us, in us, and through us, then we are missing out on a huge, huge component of the blessings of God. And so I encourage you to continue to focus on uh, what we have to be thankful for in Christ Jesus. Now, as we uh, get into God's Word today, I want us to pay close attention to what God has uh, to teach us because we're going to look at how it's easy to be thankful in good times, But when things are hard, when things are chaotic, when things are difficult, it's not always as easy. And let's just be honest, our world is broken. Our world is chaotic. Oftentimes, the things that... that we have expectations for, the things that we think, okay, this is how God works, this is who he is, this is how his world works. A lot of times those expectations come crashing down around us. And in those moments when we're hurting, In those moments where life is difficult, in those moments where things catch us off guard and we feel like we can't see God moving, we don't understand what he's doing, it's easy for us to stop being thankful. It's easy for us to lose that peace that God wants us to have. It's easy for us not to have joy the way God wants us to have joy in this life in and through him. And so what I want us to talk about today and what I want us to dig deep into God's word is how can we have joy? How can we have peace? How can we be grateful and thankful no matter what life throws at us? No matter what hardships you go through, no matter what hardships you're coming out of or that look like are just on, uh, on the next turn that looks like it's coming your way and you can't avoid it, how can you still be thankful? How can you still have peace? And how can you still have joy in the midst of those difficult seasons of life. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, come out of the Gospels and we're going to look at a, another portion of Scripture. We're going to look in the New Testament letters and we're going to look at a uh, particularly uh, um, interesting letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. We're going to be in the book of Philippians. And the thing that's amazing about this letter to the church there in Philippi is that 
out of all of Paul's letters, this is one of his uh, most joy-filled letters. A lot of times Paul was writing to churches because there was difficulty, because there were uh, heresies and there were controversies and sin in the church, and he was writing to address those things and to correct their life, correct their teaching and things like that. But with the letter to the Philippians, he was doing something a little bit different. See, the Philippian church, they were going through hardships. They were going through difficulties. They were going through persecutions like many other Christians during that time. But the thing with the Philippian church is that they were still finding their joy, their peace, and their their thankfulness in Christ and what he was doing through them, even through the hardships. And Paul was writing to them to thank them for their witness and for their gifts to the kingdom of God. And not only that, but while Paul was writing this letter, guess where he was? In prison. And it wasn't because he had done anything wrong. It wasn't because he was actually a criminal. uh, criminal. It was because he was faithful to the mission that God had called him to. And even though he was pouring his life out for the kingdom of God, he was persecuted, he was victimized, and he was thrown into a Roman jail, and he wasn't sure when he was going to be getting out. But even in the midst of this cold, damp Roman jail, Paul is still filled with joy and peace and thankfulness. And he writes this this letter that's just brimming and saturated with thankfulness and joy to these Christians who are also going through hardships. And as we get into uh, this uh, letter from the Apostle Paul, we're going to see at least five things that we need to be focusing on in order to maintain and hold our joy, our peace, and our thankfulness in the midst of suffering. Whatever you're focused on, you're going to find that. If you're focused on your hardships and your pain, you're going to see more of it. But if you're focused on what Paul talks about here in this letter, you're going to be able to maintain your joy, peace, and thankfulness no matter what happens in this world. So in the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians, uh, we're going to begin in in, uh, verse 4 of chapter 4 as we look at these five things to focus our attention on no matter what happens in the world around us. Notice what Paul says. Starting in verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now pause there for a moment. There's a couple things that we need to uh, point out here that we need to make sure that we have a clear, crisp understanding on. When Paul says rejoice, this word that he's using for rejoice is a word that means cheer. It means to, to shout with joy. It means to celebrate. It means to, to be just overflowing w- with excitement. Uh, it it uh, comes from this feeling of happiness and joy as, as though when you have uh, the birth of a child and you are overjoyed, you want to shout it from the rooftops. You want to take all the pictures you can and send it to everyone you can. You are just brimming with excitement and joy. That's what Paul says. And now notice, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Not some of the times, not when things are going great for you, not when everything is working according to uh, your expectations or your plans. He says, always. And we know that when the apostle Paul is saying rejoice always, he literally means it because we know from other portions of scripture, other letters that he's written, we know through the book of Acts that Paul has gone through the highs and the lows. He's been blessed and he's seen God work in phenomenal ways. He's he's seen miracles and he's been used by God to do miracles. 
but we also know that he has suffered some of the greatest hardships. He says, I know what it is uh, to have plenty, and I know what it is to have loss. I know what it is to go cold at night, and I know what it is to be warm and fed. I, I've been through it all, and I can still say, rejoice always. And listen, I don't know where you find yourself here today. I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what hardships may await you when you leave these church walls. But I do know this. God's will for you is to have joy always. Now, I know there may be some pushback on that. Well, Pastor Jim, how can I have joy always? You don't know my situation. You don't know the hardships that I've gone through. And I don't. I don't know those things. But I do know that God wants you to have joy all the time. Because here's at least one reason I think that it's important for us as believers to have joy no matter what life throws at us. is because the world outside who doesn't know Christ, their joy is wrapped up in their circumstances. Their joy is wrapped up with how life goes and, and, and whether or not they have uh, the, the comforts and the amenities of life, whether or not uh, things are going their way. You know, they, they have uh, joy during the good times and they're depressed during the bad times. We as Christians should not be taking our cues from the way the world responds to the difficulties of life. We should stand out and we should stand apart from the way the world reacts to the difficulties of life. If we look just like the world whenever things get hard, then what difference is there with being a Christian? But instead, as Christians, we should be able to have a peace that surpasses all understanding. We should have a joy that, uh, that overflows no matter what is going on in life. Now, how in the world can we have that? How in the world can we have this joy that is not determined by circumstances and situations? Well, he says right here in the text, notice what it says, rejoice in circumstances and situations. Is that what it says? No, not at all. What do we rejoice in? Anyone see it? In the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord always. I can always be overflowing with joy and with thankfulness and with peace. Why? Not because of what's happening around me, not because of how people are treating me, not because of how life is going for me, but because of who God is. We can have joy in the Lord always. Not in the world, not in my job, not in my finances, but in the Lord. Now, when we stop and think for a minute about what is it about God that is supposed to fill us with joy no matter what life brings? Now, we could probably sit here for hours and hours. Hopefully, we could sit here for, for all, of, all of eternity and think about the goodness that is God. And we could sit here and just praise his name forever. I, I think that would be a great use of our time. But I want to just list a few things that I think that if we truly sit down and think about who God is and how we can rejoice in the Lord, I, I think it will help give us some, some more ideas, some more context of what he's getting at. We can rejoice in the very character of God. Think about, that. Think about who God is for a moment. Think about who God is revealed in Scripture. Think about who God is revealed in your own life and your experiences and your interactions with God. God is love. 
I'm always amazed when I think about how Scripture describes God. Scripture could have, uh, you know, in the New Testament when it says God is love, I think, man, they could have said anything about God. God is holy. God is just. God is powerful. But when the New Testament writers, when they think about who God is and their interactions with Jesus, the, the incarnate God in flesh, they said God is love. That, that summarized who God is and all of his other attributes. That, that Wouldn't it be scary if God were just powerful, but he wasn't love? That would truly be a terrifying thought. Or if God were holy, but not love? You know, as, as someone who, who sins, uh, unfortunately, on a, on a regular basis, I'm glad that God's not just holy without love. I'm glad that God is love. I'm glad that God is merciful. I'm glad that God is patient and kind, and that he moves towards us uh, for our good, not against us. When we just pause and think, not about what God has done for us, but just about who God is, our hearts should just overwhelm be overwhelmed with love and gratitude and peace for who God is. But it's not just who God is that should make us thankful. It's how God interacts with us. God's affection and love for you should, should cause us to be speechless. The, the God of the universe, the God that spoke the world into existence, he is infatuated with you. He loves you. He did not want to spend eternity in heaven apart from you. He wanted you to be in a relationship with him so bad that he was willing to sacrifice his one and only son so that you would have an opportunity to call him father. To come before him, to crawl in his lap, and to pour out your heart and your burdens and your concerns to him, not because he doesn't know him, not because he doesn't, uh, he, he doesn't already know what he's going to do, but just because he wants to hear from you. Think about that for just a moment, that when you woke up this morning, even though you had so much to do, you had to get ready for church, you probably have a thousand other things that you need to do throughout the day, but God, the God of this universe, your heavenly Father is sitting on the edge of his throne waiting to spend time with you. Even in the midst of all that he has, he's holding the stars in place, and yet he is looking forward to talking and hearing from you. If that doesn't fill you with joy, if that doesn't fill you with peace and thankfulness, I don't know what else to say. You need to check your pulse because that is amazing news. God loves you with an unfathomable love. He loves his children. But not only that, we can be thankful. We can be filled with joy when we find our joy in, in the Lord by knowing that God is in control of everything. Not only is God love, not only does God move for us and not against us, but he's in control of everything. He is sovereign. There is not a single thing that happens in his creation that he doesn't know about, that he doesn't either cause or that he doesn't allow to happen. That even though this world may seem oftentimes like it's spinning out of control and it seems like uh, the darkness and the evil around us is getting the upper hand, that is just an illusion from our perspective. From God's perspective, it's all working according to his plan. And thankfully enough, his plan is for our good and for his glory. This year has been crazy. This year has been chaotic. It's turned everyone's expectations and everyone's plans up on its head, except for God's. 
God knew it all. And God is still accomplishing his good work. And so when Paul says here, as he's sitting in that Roman jail cell and writing to a group of Christians who are hurting, who have lost much and have been, been persecuted much for their faith in Christ, he says, rejoice always in the Lord. Again, I will say it, rejoice. You know, it's enough for God's word to say something once, but Paul here had to say it twice. He wanted to make sure we knew that we can rejoice. Listen, the way that we have joy thankfulness and peace in this life is dependent not on what's going on around us, but what we're focused on. If you're focused on the world and the craziness around you, then you're going to be anxious. You're going to be fearful. You're going to be worried. But if you're focused on God, if your eyes are fixed on him, then you'll have a peace that everyone else around you will not understand. You'll have a joy that no one else will be able to comprehend. And you'll be able to go through this life with a smile on your face, with a skip in your step, and a, and a love in your heart because you know who holds the world in place, your heavenly Father. So Paul says here, focus on God. Find your joy in him. I love this uh, quote that I, uh, I, I heard uh, here recently. It said, peace and joy is not the absence of danger or hardship but the presence of God. Let me say that again. I want you to pay close attention because there's so much truth wrapped up in that. Peace and joy is not the absence of danger or hardship, but it's the presence of God. Listen, if you're a believer here today, God is with you. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. And because of that, we can have joy always. Not only that, but notice what the next focus is we see here in verse 5. It says, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Now this is a really interesting uh, uh, place that Paul goes here. He just said, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he moves to something a little bit more practical. He says, let your gentleness be known to all men. Not just people in the church, not just like-minded believers, not people who look like you, talk like you, think like you, but he says to all men. And again, Paul is saying this, knowing that he is living in the midst of a world that is against him and against the faith. He is being persecuted for his faith. And yet he still says, you know, the emperor who just threw me in jail, we need to be gentle to him. You know, the Roman guards who use and abuse you, you need to be gentle to them. You know, the Jews who are constantly uh, fighting against the, the, the Gentiles now coming into the church and being a part of the people of God and causing divisiveness in the church, you need to be gentle to them. He says, you need to be gentle to all people. He wouldn't need to say that if it were, if it were easy to be gentle to people. He's saying it because oftentimes, People make life difficult. And what's really interesting here, this doesn't mean that we just need to be uh, sweet and we just need to not say anything that's controversial or we don't, we don't need to uh, speak hard truth to people. That's not what Paul is getting at here. In fact, the word that Paul uses here for gentle oftentimes is translated fair. It doesn't mean that you're always, you know, just smiling and, and that you're always just, you know, sweet and passive and you just let people do whatever they want and, and walk all over you. No, what Paul is saying is we are fair, we are equitable, we are good to all people regardless of how they treat us. You know, when we look around at our culture, there's a lot of divisiveness. 
when we look around at our culture, we see a lot of animosity, a lot of hate, a lot of anger, a lot of fighting and backbiting. And it's easy to sink into that mentality and begin uh, 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 taking hit for hit and, and, and fighting fire with fire and being angry and, and, and tearing other people apart because you've been torn apart as well. But what Paul is saying is we need to be fair and we need to be gentle. We need to treat other people the way Christ has treated us. And what I find interesting is he wraps all this up not in that other person deserving to be treated with gentleness and fairness. Notice what he says here. Let your gentleness be known to all men. And notice why he says the Lord is at hand. He says, the reason why you should treat other people with kindness, with gentleness, with fairness, is not because they deserve it. It is because God is at hand. Now, there's a couple ways that you can understand that phrase, God is at hand. And, uh, many scholars look at this and they say, well, Paul is referring to the fact that at any moment, Jesus could come back. At any moment, you could hear the trumpet sound and all this will be done away with and Christ will come back to reclaim uh, his rightful uh, kingship over all of creation. And all people, believers and unbelievers, will have to stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords and give an account for their life. And certainly that is a part of what Paul is getting at. And that, that should, even if, even if we just stop there, that truth alone should cause us to pause in our interactions with one another. At any moment, in the blink of an eye, we could be standing before God. At any moment, we could stand before God and give an account for every word that I say, everything that I do, every thought that passes through my mind. And are we ready? Are you ready to truly answer for how you've treated other people created in the image of God. Again, I'm sure that if I were to hear your story and how other people have treated you and how you have responded back, I would probably be very sympathetic to the words you've said and the things that you've done. But if we were all honest and we measure ourselves not based upon what I think is right and, and how good I am in relation to someone else, but if we measure ourselves based on Jesus Christ. And how even when he was being beaten and even when he was being nailed to a rugged cross, he was praying blessings upon those who were torturing him to death. And if we measure ourselves based upon that, I think we would all have to pause and recognize that we have a long way to go in our interactions with one another. And we need God's grace. And we need his mercy. And that is why when I stand before God, the only thing I'm banking on is God's mercy and grace through Jesus Christ. But even with that, I still need to, as much as possible, even though I know I'm going to do it imperfectly, when I'm interacting with you, and when I'm interacting with the people in the world, I need to make sure that I do so with the knowledge that at any moment I could stand before God and have to answer for how I've spoken and how I've acted. You see, when we begin focusing on God, when our focus is on the Lord and on the truths that we see in Scripture, it changes everything. When we start seeing from that perspective, it's much easier to begin living with joy and peace and thankfulness. I'm thankful that my interactions with people around me should not be dictated by their actions towards me. 
about how God has re- responded to me in my sin and my rebellion. Not only do I think Paul has in mind here the fact that we're all going to stand before God, but I think it's also the fact that God is near us right here and right now. You know, if you look in uh, the book of Colossians, Colossians and Philippians are almost uh, sister letters. They, they, they mirror many passages, all, sometimes almost word for word. And there is a passage in uh, Colossians that mirrors this passage in Philippians so closely. And the way Paul uh, words it in Colossians is he says, the Lord is at hand. Or I'm sorry, the Lord is near. And I think we all need to understand that in our interactions with one another, God, as believers, God is in us, empowering us to treat people better than they deserve. Because we know that God has treated us better than we deserve. And so I love the unlovable. I give forgiveness to the unforgivable. I bless those who are cursing me because that is what God has done for me. And I believe that is what God has done for you as well. When we focus in that way, instead of on the hurt, instead of on the pain, but if we focus on God, it changes everything. And we're able to have that peace, that thankfulness, that contentment. But notice what else we see here. Look with me real quick in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. This is a wonderful passage of Scripture, but it's a challenging passage of Scripture. He says, be anxious for nothing. I, I don't, I, you know, I'm sure Paul had worries. I'm sure he had anxiety, but really? Paul, you're telling us that we're not to worry and be anxious for anything? That seems impossible. This world is so broken. This world is so difficult. There are so many hardships in life. Is it really even possible? Is, it even, is, is that really a, a reasonable thing to tell these Christians, Paul, that, that, that we're supposed to be anxious for nothing? But notice how we can accomplish this. Paul gives us time and time again difficult things to do, but then he tells us how we can accomplish it. He says this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. I love that. He he says, you want to stop with the worry? You want to stop with the anxiety, the frustrations, the the cares of this world? If you want to take that burden off you, then you do it through prayer. You know, there used to be a time, I remember growing up, where you could drive by a church on a Wednesday or a Sunday night and there would be cars in the parking lot because you knew they were having a prayer meeting. And it wouldn't necessarily be as as well attended as a a Sunday morning worship service, but you knew regularly every week the people of God were coming together, at least a handful of them, to come and pray. But it seems like, at least and what I've seen, that somewhere over the years, prayer meetings have begun to dwindle with the people of God. Now, I'm going to pause for just a moment, and I want us to really do some soul-searching here. Time and time again, I I hear Christians say, you know what we need? If we're going to have a revival in America, we need to get prayer back into the schools. When we took prayer out of the schools, then that became a problem, and that's where we began to go downhill. Now, I'm not against praying in, in school, but you know, they were only able to take prayer out of schools because prayers first started going away in the homes. 
and in the churches. How often do Christian parents pray with their kids before they go to school? How often do the people of God come together, truly come together, not for singing, not for preaching, not for anything else, but just to come before the throne of God and to call out to him? You know, you see time and time again in Scripture where a revival happens when people recognize their brokenness and their utter, complete dependence on God. That there's nothing in the whole world that we can do unless he allows us and empowers us to do it. And so I think that if we truly want to see revival in our homes— if we want to see a revival in our churches, if we want to see a revival in our nation and in the world, it begins when the people of God start praying. We need to get back to prayer. The Christian life begins with prayer. Asking God, God, save me, a sinner. And the Christian life is empowered and fueled by prayer, daily prayer in our life. But what I see here in this, in this passage is, is that God, through the Apostle Paul, is encouraging us not to carry around this weight of burden with us each and every day, but to give it over to God. So I'm going to ask you a question. Don't answer it out loud. Don't nudge the person next to you, but I want you to truly ask in your heart, what are the things that I'm carrying around that I could unload onto God? What are the burdens that are just weighing me down and stressing me out and robbing me of sleep and robbing me of peace and joy in this world that God is just waiting for me to hand over to him? Because that's the invitation that Paul is saying here. You want to have thankfulness and peace and joy no matter what the world brings your way? Then go to God in prayer. Start the day off in prayer. Live throughout the day in prayer and then end the day in prayer. Prayer shouldn't just be a thing you do over your, your, your meals. It should be something that you're constantly doing throughout the day, walking, living, in a daily conversation with your Heavenly Father. Sometimes I'm convinced that God brings hardships into our life because we wouldn't pray to Him in any other time. Sometimes the only time the people of God pray is when things are going difficult, when things are going rough. Wouldn't it be amazing if just Highland Park Baptist Church, even if just us, no, let's not focus on anyone else, but just this church was known as a people who prayed, who believed in the power of prayer and prayed fervently for God's will to be done. How would that change our church? How would that change our community? How would that change the world? I believe that just one person who's truly committed to praying for God's will to accomplish, uh, be accomplished here on this earth can transform anything. What if the people of God came together? Notice what else he goes on to say here. He says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then notice what he goes into verse 8. says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, I want to just take a moment and suggest that we are surrounded by constant negativity. And every so often, we need to recalibrate our focus. 
And Paul here is saying, listen, not only do you need to focus on God and rejoice in him always, not only do you need to remember that God is at hand, God is near, God is right with you. If you're a believer every moment of every day, not only do you need to be praying to God, but you need to drown out all the constant barrage of negativity in your life and focus on what God is doing. Listen, some of us need to turn off the TV and turn off the news. Some of us need to put away our phones and turn off Facebook and Twitter, maybe even delete our accounts. And we need to get into God's word. We need to get into prayer. We need to begin focusing on, on the good things that God is doing. Listen, I am confident that even in the most difficult moments that we face, there is a nugget of blessing. There is an opportunity. There is something good that God is doing, even in our hardest, most difficult seasons of life. When I look at the story of Job, a man who God allowed Satan to take away his family, take away his wealth, take away his health, and leave him just destitute, laying in a pile of ashes, even in that, if you read at the end of the book of Job, his, his situation doesn't change, but his perspective changes where he begins to get a clear grasp of who God is. And before God restores much of what he had lost, Job comes to the place where he recognizes, I used to hear about God, but now I've seen God. And it changed everything. Even in our most difficult times, it's easy to focus on the pain. It's easy to focus on the negativity. But if we can allow ourselves to push through and look past that at the blessing, at the opportunity that God has in every moment, then we'll be able to rejoice we'll be able to have peace. We'll be able to be thankful no matter what. And then lastly, I want you to notice what he says here. In verse 9, he says, the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the peace and the God of peace will be with you. Now, here's what I want to leave you with. We see that we need to focus on who God is we see that we need to focus on the fact that God is near us. We see that we need to focus on prayer and, and coming to God and pouring out our needs to him. We see that we need to focus on the positive things in life, the things that God is doing in, in the midst of our situations and circumstances. But then Paul gives such a practical advice. He says, and when all else fails, find those godly individuals that God has blessed you with and look at them. So often we feel like we can go through this life on our own, that we can figure it out, that we can push through with that can-do attitude. But listen, I cannot begin to express to you the importance of having some godly individuals who are a little bit further ahead in their walk in Christ, who are a little bit uh, further down the road, who have gone through some of the situations and circumstances that you've gone through and been able to look at them and follow their example. And they don't always have to be ministers and pastors and evangelists. Some of the most godly individuals that I've been able to look to for encouragement and support throughout my walk with Christ have just been regular Christians. Just people who are going through this spiritual journey that we're all on. In fact, there was one individual, I may have mentioned her in the past, she had such a profound influence on me at a young, uh, young time in my Christian walk. It was an elderly lady in, in, in the, the church that I was growing up in. Her name was Miss Dodd. And Miss Dodd, she wasn't a Bible school teacher. She wasn't, she wasn't teaching any classes. But as I was trying to follow Christ and, and, and move forward in the calling that he had placed on my life, Miss Dodd was constantly coming to me with a word of encouragement constantly coming to me and just praying with me. Just a short little prayer, 
or a short little, hey, I've just been thinking of you. I hope you're doing well. And it it wasn't anything spectacular. It wasn't anything life-altering, but it was just little bits of encouragement and an example watching her life that added up over time that had a profound impact in my heart and my mind, and I can still remember her to this day. So I don't know where you are. I don't know how God's gifted you. I have talked to so many Christians who feel so inadequate, like they have nothing to contribute. Listen, just as you're living your Christian life, I guarantee you someone's watching you. Someone's looking up to you. Be that godly example for those coming behind you and look for that godly example for those who have gone before you. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it's a neighbor. But look to those individuals who are living that life, who have that hope, that, that, that spirit of joy, and follow their example. Listen, as I said, this world is difficult. This world is tough. Hardships are common to us all. But in Christ, in the Lord, you can have joy and thankfulness no matter what. That's my prayer for you. And I know that God has that calling, that, that desire for you as well. If you'll just cast your eyes to him and experience the joy he wants for you. Let's go to a a time of prayer as we go to our invitation. Wonderful Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Lord, thank you for this opportunity for us to gather together to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the Apostle Paul, Lord, in the midst of his hardships and difficulties, Lord, he still had joy and thankfulness. And Father, thank you that we can have that same joy no matter what. Lord, as we go now into this time of invitation, I pray that you would just show up and show out in a powerful way for your glory and for your namesake. And we ask this in Christ's name.